0: World Overcomers, hey, it's Pastor Manny Arango, super excited to be uh, with the World Overcomers family on a Wednesday night, okay? Uh, Over the next four weeks, over the next four weeks, I am going to, uh, to the best of my ability, methodically teach through how to become wealthy, okay? How to become wealthy. Before you throw up your defense mechanisms and think to yourself, uh, is this, is this prosperity gospel? Like, what, what, what are we talking about? Uh, let me kinda, let me help you out, okay? Uh, I come from poverty. Uh, I mean, I come from uh, what I would call, especially in the context of America, severe poverty. Uh, my mom has lived in government housing her entire life. My grandmother lived in the projects her entire life. My great-grandmother, uh, was uh, a house servant, and my great-great-grandmother picked cotton. Uh, my uncles have all, for the most part, been either alcoholics or incarcerated. I come from absolute poverty, uh, and so I grew up in abject poverty. Now, I know that there are third-world countries all around the, the world where what I would consider impoverished in America, they would not consider impoverished. So. For context I grew up insanely poor for an American standard uh, however right now uh, I can proudly say that I am the first Arango to graduate from college the first Arango to graduate from my, with a master's degree the first Arango to be in a doctoral program come on I'm gonna be Dr. Manny Arango by 2024 the first Arango to own property the first Arango um, to walk in wealth I've made well over six figures every single year from businesses that I've started from preaching and teaching the word I have no shame or guilt or embarrassment to declare that the curse of poverty that was on my family the uh, stronghold of poverty that was on the Arango family for generations was broken with God's help by me, and so I wanna talk for the next four weeks on how to break the curse of poverty. I think poverty is a stronghold, I think it's a curse. I I, I do not believe that God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to hustle and and to struggle and to be broke and to be poor and to live week to week and to be jealous of what other people have I think poverty and everything surrounding poverty is a trap of the enemy. I think debt is a trap of the enemy, especially bad debt, especially predatory debt. There's a massive difference between good debt and bad debt. And I have had to not only educate myself on how to deal with finances, but I've also had to deal with the internal issues on how to deal with finances. Because if you grow up poor, some of the issues that you have to deal with are in your head, but some of the issues that you have to deal with are in your soul. They're patterns of belief that you've built up over time. Over the last probably 10 years, I have combated what I would call poverty mentality, where there are times where I I first moved to North Carolina and I could have bought property when I first moved here, but I heard what it would cost for there to be a down payment on a house. And I said the words, that's a lot of money. Well, guess what? Fast forward now a decade later and I look back and go, I can't believe I called $10,000 a lot of money because that's not a lot of money. And I had to begin to unlearn all of the mindsets that poverty taught me. I wonder if there's anybody in the chat right now where you can admit that poverty has taught you a way to behave, that poverty has taught you a way to act. One of the very, very first ways that I think we break out of a poverty mentality or poverty stronghold or break the curse of poverty that's actually in our life is not to find wealth. It's not actually to find money, but it's to find relationships. The average person who's bound by poverty is actually bound by poverty because the only relationships they have are with other people who are also poor. See, most people who are uh, below the median line for what is considered poverty or below the poverty line, their interactions, their relational, their, especially their intimate relationships don't break class barriers. And so one of the very first ways that I was able to break out of a poverty curse or poverty mentality or poverty stronghold was church. Because church was the only place where poor people, wealthy people, rich people, privileged people, underprivileged people were all together in one space. And can I be a nerd with you for a second? Historically, that's also true. Places like Corinth, places like Rome, places like Colossae, places like Ephesus. Paul is writing these letters, and these churches are the only places where different stratospheres of wealth would be all engaging with each other in the same place. Actually, the book of Corinthians is clear that the church is the only place where wealthy people and poor people actually co-mingle. This has always been the strength of the church. That church is one of the only social places, one of the only social networks where cross-pollinization between wealthy people and poor people can happen. And that is where the curse of poverty begins to lift because it's always a relationship that God will use to bless you, not just bless you spiritually, but bless you physically, bless you mentally, bless you financially. So tonight, okay, it's Wednesday night service. Tonight, we want to dig in, in the 28 minutes that I have remaining, okay? I wanna outline where we're going for the next four weeks. For four consecutive weeks, we are gonna talk about breaking the stronghold of poverty. Why am I talking about that? because I was born the son of a drug addict and the son of a, of a woman who was pregnant at 13 years old, had lived in the projects her whole life. I was born into poverty, and right now, I'm a property owner. The reason that I made sure that, to buy a home before my son was born, who's actually in this room with me right now, is because when I was six years old, my parents' landlord banged on their door, demanding rent because they were late with the rent. I was six years old and I'm 35 years old today. And I remember knowing that my parents are not completely in control of where they live and there's a person that can disrespect them and dishonor them in my presence and there is no legal recourse. My parents are broke these people are poor they loved me they provided for me they had a lot of faith they instilled a lot of confidence in me they taught me awesome lessons but I don't have to lie (laughs) they were in a financial position that limited how they could set me up for success for the rest of my life one of the reasons I bought property is because I never wanted my son I never wanted my seed I never wanted my heir to ever have an experience where a landlord knocked on a door and told his father what his options were in terms of paying rent and could disrespect me in front of my kid. I always wanted my kid to live in an environment that his parents owned, to live in an environment that his parents owned. And when we decided to buy our first home, in North Durham. Me and my wife were struggling with infertility, but God gave me this revelation, that God created the oceans before he created whales, that God created the sky before he created birds, and that God created the dry land before he created animals or man, which means God always creates the environment that will contain his blessing before he ever creates the blessing. He doesn't create birds and then go, uh oh, I don't have a place to put you. He doesn't create whales or dolphins or fish and then go, whoop, I don't have a place to put you. No, he creates the environment first he forms then he fills that this is a god of order that when you look at creation when you look at days one two and three, you look at a God that is creating environments and then when you look at day four, five and six, you're looking at a God filling those spaces with things that will reflect his glory. This is our God. So in the middle of us struggling with infertility I remember God challenging me and saying you haven't even given me anything to fill. Why would I fill your 800 square foot apartment if you're actually believing me for the miraculous, how about you go borrow some jars, go borrow some pots if you're believing that a supernatural flow of oil is going to come out of your life. And so I want to outline principles from God's Word over the next four weeks. I want this church, World Overcomers Christian Church, To be the wealthiest church in the state of North Carolina. That is 100% possible. I want you to be wealthy. I don't want you to be wealthy so that you can be more selfish. I want you to be wealthy so that you can advance the kingdom of God further and faster. I want you to be wealthy because wealth reflects the glory of God to unbelievers. Why do I want you to be wealthy? I want you to be wealthy so that you can adopt kids whose parents are in dire straits and don't have the financial means to provide for them. Why do I want you to be wealthy? I want you to be wealthy because I learned this lesson a couple of years ago. There's a young man at our church actually. He, his freshman year of, of college. His freshman year of college, um, me and my wife were youth pastors at the time and he was living in a situation that was just kind of like wasn't the best and so out of the generosity of my heart me and my wife tia said you know what man you can live with us it's okay i get it you're you know the situation that you're in there's sin happening all around you you're a freshman in college yo i understand i believe in you You're a young black man. I know what it feels to be in your scenario. You can live with me and my wife. I made sure that she was cool with it. Tia signed off. Like, absolutely, he can live with us. Explain the situation. She said, how dare we, who've been so uh, uh, recipients of God's generosity, how dare we be stingy? Of course this young man can live with us. Well, this man moved in. He lived with us probably six, seven, eight months. It was a while. And then our landlord showed up to our house. Actually, our landlord showed up to our house while I was away on a trip. Had an altercation with my wife in which she told my wife that she was going to evict us because we were in breach of the lease because in the lease we were not allowed to sublet and she did not believe that we were not charging this young man any rent. She's like, there's no way, you're not charging him to live with you. She had an attitude. She was, I mean, it was embarrassing how loud she was. And I remember coming back home and I remember saying, this is my fault. I should not be living in anybody else's property. And moreover, the thing that really made me buy a home was not just the fact that I was believing God for a child, but it's that in my generosity, I was trying to give someone something that I didn't have. The reason that I wanted to be a homeowner is because since the time I've become a homeowner, multiple people have lived with me and my wife because that same heart of generosity that I had when I was renting a space is the same generosity that I now am able to walk in, because the space is mine. Can't nobody come to my house now and tell me that this young man can't live with me. And for a lot of us, we're generous, but we've denied a principle of ownership. And at the end of the day, your generosity is always going to be limited by how, control, or how in control you are of your life. I'm able to be more generous today than I was when I had a landlord because no one can tell me right now. We have someone living in our house right now. They don't pay us any rent. We're just being totally generous. And the reason that nobody can stop me from doing that is because I pay my mortgage to the bank. I don't pay rent to a landlord who's using me to pay their mortgage to a bank. So I want to talk to you, world overcomers, about building, wealth and overcoming the trap of the enemy that is debt and poverty. We want you to reign and rule. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are above only and never beneath. The head and not the tail more than a conqueror because of his love. Greater is he that is in you than he that's within the world. And you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So over the next four weeks, we are gonna break down how to get out of poverty. Now, how do you know if you're poor? That's a phenomenal question. First of all, do you feel poor, okay? How do I know if I'm poor? Do you feel poor? (laughs) Number one, here's how you know if you're poor. Do you own anything? What are your assets? You have to add up assets and liabilities and subtract the difference between all your assets and all your liabilities, and that is how you get net worth. What do you own? How in control are you of your life? I'm not here to judge whether or not you're poor or not, but here's what I am gonna say. If you feel like you need a message on how to build wealth, then baby, this sermon series is for you. So let's get into week one. I'm excited. If you're excited to go on this journey with me over the next four weeks, how about you type in the chat? How about you get in the chat and let me know how to get to a place where down payment for a home was no longer a lot of money. Me even calling it a lot of money is a reflection of my mentality. I had to figure out, you know what? I have to start networking with people. Let me give you a nugget. Your network is your net worth. Your network is your net worth. If you want to be married, you know what you should do? Hang out with married people. If you want to be a millionaire, do you know what you should do? Hang out with millionaires. If you want to be in shape, do you know what you should do? hang out with people who are in shape. You are always going to reflect the relationships that are in your life. A lot of us, there are networks that we have, uh, have locked ourselves out of because of insecurity and self-doubt. And I'm here to tell you, if you believe you're a millionaire, you will start hanging out with millionaires. If you believe that you're a husband, you'll start hanging out with husbands. If you believe you're a future wife, you'll start hanging out with wives. You first have to change your network before you can change your net worth. All right, let's dig in. I got 17 minutes to be with you. If you're in the chat and you're excited, let me know. Come on, tell me, Pastor Manny, this is for me. Pastor Manny, this is for me. This is helpful, this is helpful, this is helpful. The title of tonight's message, ooh, this is hard. I'm gonna preach hard to you. I'm sorry. I'm gonna step on some toes. I'm sorry in advance. I know you're gonna be offended. I know you are. I'm sorry. Just stick with me to the end of the message. Give me 16 more of your minutes. Okay? Here's the title of my message for tonight. The reason you're broke. The reason you're broke. I want to read a whole lot of passages of Scripture to you. Oh, I'm gonna read a whole lot of passages of Scripture, and they're all gonna be from the book of Proverbs. And by the time I'm done reading, I wonder if you're going to see a theme. We're going to start in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. We're going to read all the way to verse 11. It says this, go to the ant, you sluggard. Sluggard is the Bible way of saying you lazy person. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler. I could stop right there and preach a whole sermon. No commander no overseer, no ruler. Because wealthy people are self-motivated people. Wealthy people are inspired and their source of inspiration is not another person. It's not a boss, it's not a manager, it's not an employer. Their standard for themselves is higher than any standard that anybody else can put on them. When I was the youth pastor here at World Overcomers, I was an employee. And I remember Pastor Andy outlined to me my job description, and what my role was gonna be. And then, you know, I said, is that it? And he was like, yeah, that's a lot. And I said, okay, and then, After a couple years went by, I started a whole conference, and then I started a network for youth pastors in the area. I got to know every single youth pastor almost across the whole state of North Carolina. If you're familiar, if you've been around our church for a long time, I started a conference called Flood Conference that filled this room. That was not on my job description that Pastor Andy wrote for me. That was on the job description that Manny Arango wrote for Manny Arango, because I don't need a commander or a ruler. I answer to God. And at some point if your boss has higher expectations of you than you have of yourself, you have set yourself up to always need a boss. At some point, you're gonna have to decide, yeah, that's what my boss wants me to do, but my standard for myself is triple, quadruple, what my boss wants me to do. I'm always gonna overperform, because nobody knows what's in me like I know what's in me. Pastor Andy gave me that job description, and I almost got dis- I almost felt disrespected. I'm like, that's it? That's all you think I got? All you think I can do is pastor, get out of here. I can run staff. Are you joking? I can recruit hundreds of volunteers. I, 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 what, you think that all I can do is pastor these young people? I can preach for you on Sundays when you travel. Who, do you know who you are talking to? I'm Manny Arango. I don't need a boss. I don't need no, I don't need an an employer. No, I'm working here as an employee, but I'm self-motivated. No one has to wake me up in the morning and make me do anything. I have what? No commander, no overseer, no ruler. These are the kinds of people that are indispensable to organizations. Indispensable, indispensable. You wanna know how to be someone who will never be fired? Have more motivation, and more passionate about your job than your employer has about your job. And they will never, ever, ever get rid of you. Let's keep going. I'm not even done with my first uh, passage of Scripture. All right, here we go. And I'm preaching from experience. I'm preaching this because I know this from experience. Pastor Andy set the bar here, and I was like, yeah, right, the bar's here okay, because I'm never gonna let somebody have a higher expectation for what I can do than me, ever. When God spoke to me about my purpose and my calling, he told me what gifts are in me. How dare I let somebody who's not intimately acquainted with the revelation that God has given me about me, tell me what my standards are gonna be, that's crazy. Some people, you have seen uh, the the job description as a challenge and I'm telling you, it ain't even close. Are you kidding me? The best way to prove that you are self-motivated is to outperform Every single job description that anybody ever gives you. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Let me start from the beginning at this point. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Verse 7. It has no commander or overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep, question mark? Verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. What is the reason that Proverbs is giving us for why people are poor? I'll tell you the reason that Proverbs is given. cause they lazy, that's why. That's not the only reason that people become poor, but we are dealing with the first reason people become poor. I, I know some of y'all are like, no, some people are poor because they're oppressed. I hear you, that's right. But we are gonna go to scripture first to figure out why people are poor, not the newspaper. We're gonna go to scripture first, not culture. We're gonna go to scripture first and build a scriptural worldview before we build a political worldview or a worldview that is based on our position in society. The first place we should go is go, what does the Bible say about why people are broke? Next, let me keep reading. Let me keep reading. I'm gonna read. A couple more passages from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs 12:11: Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. So here, Proverbs is not describing hard work versus laziness. It's describing hard work versus fantasies. For a lot of us, you are chasing fantasies. You've been chasing a singing career for 30 years. At this point, maybe, just maybe, that is not what you are gifted to do. You are chasing fantasies. You've been trying to open up that same restaurant for a long... You're chasing a fantasy. There's a difference between faith to start your own business and a fantasy to do something that actually is just going to equip you to be more lazy because you actually just want to be lazy. I'm stepping on toes. Okay, let's keep going. The next verse, Proverbs 12, 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor, saying lazy people will be slaves. Lazy people will always end up enslaved. This is not even my opinion. This is the Bible. I'm just simply reading the Bible. I can already hear the the opinion of people who are like, I can't believe he just said lazy people will be slaves. That's right. I'm reading the Bible to you. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Sluggard compared with what? The diligent. Proverbs 14, 23. All hard work brings a profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. You want to stand around and talk? Telling everybody what your dreams are, what your plans are? Stop talking and get to work. Last verse I'll give you Proverbs 19:15. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless go hungry. Proverbs actually has a perspective that I think is very helpful. That if you don't work, you will not eat. That if you do not work, you will not eat. That laziness is a real thing that has become culturally inappropriate and culturally uncomfortable to talk about. And I refuse to bow down to culture. I am going to tell you what the Bible says. Now, books like Job... And Ecclesiastes are also a part of this triad of wisdom literature. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. They all give a different theological perspective. And so in the future I will talk about Ecclesiastes, I will talk about Job. We'll get there by the end of the sermon series because where Proverbs is gonna paint a very black and white picture, books like Ecclesiastes and Job are gonna fill in a lot of gray. And I never want to be so adamant about something on stage that I will not admit that there's not nuance and there's not gray. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of gray. But I need you to stick with me for the whole four weeks because we have to start with black and white to even appreciate all of the shades of gray, okay? Uh, So uh, Job and Ecclesiastes, we'll get to that by week three, probably week four. But for now, we got to deal with Proverbs because Proverbs... Is going to indict a lot of Millennials you know what's funny is that the group of people who hate being called lazy the most <laughs> are lazy people lazy people are triggered by the word lazy lazy people hate being called lazy now I understand the word lazy has been weaponized I'm a black man in America I'm very very aware That there's a stereotype around being called lazy, and I would, and I have, and will always defend, especially people who look like me, and say, "Yeah, no. If if your people were enslaved for a couple hundred years, yeah, I mean, you may be unmotivated as well, because when there is no fruit to your labor." it begins to bring you a sense of, I'm always working for other people to be successful. But trust me, we will get there in this sermon series. I'm gonna give you five underlying reasons why people are lazy. If you are watching this right now, and you're saying, man, I really, yo, I play too many video games. Yo, I'll be waking up after 12 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, I know I don't work hard. I know that I could put more energy into my craft, into my calling. I'm not really a hard worker. This message is for you. Here we go. Five underlying reasons for laziness. Well, guess what? The first one is injustice. The number one reason for laziness is injustice. I already said it. I kind of said it before I got into my list. But if a people group have been enslaved and been taught that y'all are gonna work and we're gonna benefit, after years and years and years and years of that, it begins to rip the motivation out of people. And so we have to begin to talk about laziness in the context of justice. So the number one reason that somebody may be lazy is because of prolonged generational uh, uh, injustice, number one. Number two, I gotta get through these really, really quick. Number two, entitlement and upbringing. Entitlement and upbringing. It's hard to correct your 30 year old lazy self if your parents never made you get a job when you were 13. Chances are you're probably gonna be a little lazy at 30 if your parents didn't make you work at Chick-fil-A when you were 17 at some point we're gonna have to deal with the fact that if you had an entitled spoiled upbringing and oh you are going to have to retrain yourself to be someone who is a diligent hard worker now let me give you some hope i was raised by people who were dysfunctional okay both of my parents highly dysfunctional raised by a dad who was a drug addict raised by a mom who was pregnant as a teenager raised by two people deeply shaped by their trauma and I have unlearned and relearned. If I can unlearn and relearn, guess what? You can unlearn and relearn because I did not unlearn and relearn because Manny Arango is just so fantastic. Absolutely not. I unlearned and relearned because the gospel is true. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Because God is not counting your first birth, he's counting your second birth. All right, you were born into a family that spoiled you and entitled you, but guess what? You're a believer now, which means you get to be what? Born again. I was born into a family that was totally dysfunctional. But guess what? When I was 13, 14, I really heard the gospel when I was 20, 21, the gospel didn't just grip my emotions, began to rewire my circuitry, my brain, my thinking. And if I can unlearn and relearn, you can unlearn and relearn. Third reason why you may be lazy is because you're selfish. I'll tell you uh the reason that I'm a hard worker. And uh anyone who knows me close knows that I'm a hard worker. Right now. Uh, I speak about 70 to 75 times at churches all across the world. I'm on about two to three airplanes a week, depending on how busy that month is. Uh, literally, a couple of days ago, I preached at World Overcomers on a Sunday morning, drove to Virginia Beach, preached at a whole nother church. I am a working machine. Not only do I preach seven to 75 times a year, I also have responsibilities at this church. I also live in Dallas, Texas, and I have responsibilities at the church that I attend in Dallas, Texas. Not only that, I started a whole business slash ministry called ARMA where I teach people the Bible via subscription. Not only that, I'm in a whole doctoral program. So if you're talking about somebody that has high capacity and works hard, That's me, okay? The reason that I've chosen to preach about something that's in my field of expertise is because I want to preach from a place of authority. And when I don't want to get on airplanes, when I do not want to take those extra five speaking engagements, when I don't want to sit down to record a course, when I don't want to go lock myself away in the library and write that paper for school, when I don't want to do that stuff, do you want to know who I think about? In this order, I think about Tia, my wife who does not work, who needs me to provide. My son, who cannot work yet, who's nine months old, who needs me to provide. Then I think about the employees that I have on payroll. I think about Elijah Gaither, and I think about his wife and his son who need him to bring home the bacon, and they get paid because I work. I think about Deborah, my executive assistant, who provides for herself. Why? Because I work. I think about Jordan and Jayon, College students who are on staff with us who are dependent upon me not feeling not operating in my feelings But doing what I said I would do so that payroll can run because I'm an adult because I'm a grown man And there are people Dependent on me here's a question who's relying on you if there's nobody relying on you of course you lazy you have the right to be lazy you have the space to be lazy you have the privilege to be lazy how about you create a scenario for yourself where you don't have an option but to work hard because you have made people dependent on you I think about every single person who needs payroll to run on time I think about every single person in my personal life who needs me to wake up in the morning and go to work and study and get my degree and do what I said I would do and keep my commitments because I'm not living for me. I'm not living for Manny Orango. I'm not working hard so I can buy dope sneakers. I'm working hard so my son can go to college and never have to deal with debt. I'm working hard so I can leave my son's 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 an inheritance. I'm working hard because my life don't belong to me. Maybe you're lazy because your life belongs to you. Maybe you play video games all day because your life still belongs to you. Maybe your life belongs to you, and maybe that's the problem. Well, guess what? Manny Arango's life doesn't belong to Manny Arango. Manny Arango's life belongs to all the people who are depending on me to show up and perform. And it doesn't matter how I feel. Whoo, I'm hot. Because some of us are lazy because we've created a life where nobody needs you. So you've prolonged marriage, you've prolonged having kids, because you're like, I want my body to belong to me. That's whack. That's crazy. What do you mean you want to belong to yourself? I don't belong to myself. I don't belong to me. My time doesn't belong to me. My energy doesn't belong to me. I don't belong to me. First of all, I belong to God. So to tell a Christian that you don't belong to yourself shouldn't even be hard because the basic fundamental tenet of Christianity is that you gave yourself to God when you became a Christian. This is why so many Christian marriages are failing because two people are attempting to give themselves to one another and you've never given yourself to God yet. If you're selfish, please stay single because guess what? Tia owns me. She owns me. I can't do what I want with this body. If I grow my beard too long, she's like, I don't know, you may need to cut that, why? Cause this is her face, this ain't my face. This gift, the reason I'm on this stage right now is because I have to answer to God and I have to answer to people. Maybe you've created a life where you don't have to provide for anybody. And I would say that's a dangerous life to live because if the only person that'll be disappointed by your failure to work hard is you, then you have not created safeguards around you that will become external motivators to help you do the hard stuff and to commit to the things that you didn't actually want, the, the stuff that's hard to follow through with. Number four, I'm overtime. Woo! I know I'm stepping on toes, but it's okay. No, that was number, f- that was, Okay, number one, injustice. Number two, entitlement and upbringing. Number three, selfishness. Number four, theology. Number four, theology. I've got one verse for you. A lot of people think that Adam and Eve were created, that Adam and Eve were created like, as if Eden is a vacation spot. As if Eden was, is like a vacation destination. Um, and I'm here to let you know, Eden is not a vacation destination. Here we go, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. Work it and take care of it. Which means before there was sin, there was work. God's ideal environment for humans involves work. It involves the work of your hands. I've heard so many teaching on uh, the Garden of Eden was perfect. First of all, that's not theologically true. God actually says the Garden of Eden is good. Never says it's perfect. Uh, If it's perfect, why is there a serpent in it that's tempting people? Anyway, second, I've heard so many sermons where people act like work only comes after the fall. Because God says, by the sweat of your brow and the work of your hands, will you till the garden. But work doesn't come after the fall. Fruitless toil is what comes after the fall. The curse of Adam's sin is not work, the curse of Adam's sin is work without fruit and work without fruitfulness. So we have bad theology. Can I tell you something? In the new heaven, in the new earth, you're gonna work, baby. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is actually a picture of uh, for us of what we are returning to. Which is why in Revelation there's a garden. In Revelation there's a temple. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the author is actually describing for us what is a temple. The unadulterated presence of God. That's why the temple and the tabernacle had trees that were a part of it. And cherubim uh, inside of the fabric and the linen of the curtains. Because after Adam and Eve sin, it's a cherubim that would guard the garden again. So the garden and temple and what happens at the end in the new heaven and new earth are all pictures of the same reality. We gonna be working. If you hate work here, you're not going to like work in heaven. There's going to be work. You're going to have purpose. You're going to have a vocation. And for some of you, you're like, I thought I was going to be an angel just floating around on the clouds. Uh Uh-uh, I'm sorry to tell you that, but that ain't nowhere in the Bible, okay? So theology, last reason that a lot of us are lazy, last reason, and it's going to lead us into what I'm going to get into next week. This is a perfect segue into next week. The last reason why a lot of us struggle with laziness is boredom. Guess what? I don't have a problem working hard at preaching and leading because that's what I was uniquely designed to do. But would I be able to work hard being a real estate agent? I really don't know. I may not work hard at being a real estate agent because I was not designed to be a real estate agent. If you set me down and made me write songs for a living or put me on a worship team or gave me Pastor Josh Sissel's job or Pastor Johnny White's job, I probably wouldn't work hard. You know why? Because I'm outside of my gifting. For a lot of us, the problem is not that you're lazy. The problem is that you are bored and that boredom has created laziness and now you've gotten undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. And there's an underlying issue, and that underlying issue is that you're being forced to do something that you were never designed to do. And if you are ever going to do the things that you are designed to do, then you are going to have to understand three very important words. You're going to have to understand your purpose, you're going to have to understand your gifts, and you're going to have to understand your calling let me say it again you're going to have to understand your purpose you're going to have to understand your gifts and you are going to have to understand your calling and that ladies and gentlemen is exactly what we're going to talk about next wednesday night next wednesday for wednesday night service i'm going to unpack purpose gifts and calling because your greatest potential for wealth is when you give yourself to the thing that god actually created you for if a bird Is always judged on its ability to swim, it will live its whole life thinking it's stupid. If a fish is judged by its whole life on its ability to fly, it will think for its whole life that it's stupid. For a lot of us, the issue is not that you're lazy, it's that you're lazy now. And actually, you were bored first. And the boredom has created laziness. And now we've got to deal with the boredom so that we can deal with the laziness. And we've got to unpack your purpose, we've got to unpack your gifts and we finally have to discern the call of God on your life so that you can start to do the thing that you were designed to do and I promise you when you do what you're designed to do there's a passion that you get when you do what God put you on this planet to do you wake up early in the morning and you care about it but for a lot of us if there's no drive we have to ask ourselves the question maybe there's no passion because this is not my purpose If it is your purpose, I'm telling you right now, there will be passion. Passion is actually sometimes the proof that you are in line with your purpose, your gifts, and your calling. I'm going to say some shocking things about purpose, gift, and calling. You want to make sure that you are here next week. Hey, before we leave, how about you sow? This is an entire sermon series on wealth. How to break the curse of poverty and how to become wealthy. So how about you sow? I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm not going to beg you to give. I want you to give tonight, believing that over the next four weeks that I'm going to say something that is going to unlock the ability for you to become extraordinarily wealthy. I love you. I want to pray for you as you give. There are prompts on the screen for you to give right now. If this message was helpful, can you let me know in the chat? If this message was helpful tonight, how about you let me know in the chat? Just say, Pastor Manny, this was for me. This was for me. Just say the words, This was for me. This was for me. Pastor Manny, this was for me. This was for me. Can you just say, This was for me in the chat? That'll encourage me. That'll let me know that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on to something, okay? If this was helpful, share the link with a friend. Let me pray for everyone giving tonight. God, I thank you for every generous person. Thank you for every person sowing into the ministry of World Overcomers Christian Church and not just sowing into this ministry, but sowing into their future, sowing into the wealth that they are going to create as a family and as an individual. God, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus that you have gifted us, you've graced us, God, you've called us, and God, I ask that you would bring us back next week in this digital space for us to continue to unlock mysteries from your word. God, we thank you for every gift we thank you for every giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, if you go to World Overcomers, I'll see, uh, we'll see you here in the building on Sunday. If you don't go to World Overcomers, greetings from wherever you are watching this, and I'll see you next Wednesday as we continue to unpack this sermon series on breaking the curse of poverty and creating unprecedented wealth in your life. Love you. Peace.